Okay, we're going to continue then in our series in John's Gospel. Uh, and this one I'm calling Spiritual Union, a very important lesson, principle in the Christian life. So I, I trust it'll be a blessing to you this morning. Now, have you ever gone through a worrying situation and uh, somebody says to you, don't worry? <laughs> uh, it's not helpful, is it? <laughs> Well-meaning, but it's not helpful. Why? Why isn't it helpful? Because you cannot just switch off emotions like that. Uh, at will. Uh, emotions are responders, they're responding to thoughts that makes it make us anxious. And so we need to address the thoughts to deal with the emotions. And um, you change the way you think, then you can change the way you feel. Many psychologists will tell you that. And now Jesus, in the last passage that we looked together, shared some things that made the disciples very anxious. Number one, he said, one of you will betray me. One of you will hand me over to the authorities and I'll end up being crucified. Number two, he said, all of you will forsake me. You're all going to run. Number three, he said, you, Peter, will deny me, deny even knowing me three times. And number four, he said, and I'm going away. And where I'm going, you cannot come and you won't see me anymore. <laughs> so... They were troubled, right? So what did Jesus do to try to help them and calm their fears? Okay, so we're going to look at that um, now. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if he just said that, then that wouldn't have been helpful. But then he went on to give them substance to build their faith upon. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So, first of all, Jesus never promised a life without trouble. That's what the cults promise. That's what false teachers promise. Okay, if you've got a problem, come here, we'll pray, and we'll break that power of that thing and it will go from your life. That doesn't happen. We all go through difficult times. What he promised us is not a life without trouble, but an untroubled heart in the midst of trouble. We can stand in the midst of a storm and be at peace. And he gives us the resources for that. That's what he is promising here. So his exhortation was not an empty don't worry, it had substance. First of all, he said, you believe in God. You believe in God. Well, God is in control. God is sovereign. Amen. Our lives are in God's hands ultimately, not in chance, not according to fate, not according even to Satan, what he wants to do. You believe in God. Trust in God and, and rest in God. He's omnipotent. He has all power. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You believe in God. And, uh, you know, you, you said before, didn't he look at the flowers and the birds and how God cares for, for those things? How much more will he care for you? And then he said, you believe in me. You believe in Jesus who came to save us. He came for the specific purpose of dying in our place, rising from the dead, 
giving us the Holy Spirit, giving us a place in eternity where we are secure and where he's gone to be now our great high priest interceding for us and pouring grace upon us. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then he went on to say, look at the big picture. We're not going to be here forever. In my father's house, there are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. Now, the word mansions is a little bit of an unfortunate translation because it sort of conjures up this, this uh, picture of like a big mansion with about 10 bedrooms and all these, you know, big rooms and so on, swimming pool and that sort of thing. That's what we think when we think of a mansion. But it, actually the literal translation is abiding place. Abiding place. It's a good way to look at this because everything in this life is temporary. Everything we build in this life is temporary. Don't, don't get too comfortable in this world as if we're going to be here forever. Everything is temporary and nothing is permanent. There's no sense of permanence about this life. But where we're going is secure forever. It's an abiding place. You know, Abraham is the father of those who believe. He's, he's a typical picture of what it means to walk by faith. And he never built a house. They lived in tents. The, the, those around them built houses, but he lived in a tent because he was showing he's a pilgrim. He looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Amen? And we're a people of faith. We're pilgrims. Now, Jesus said, not, sorry, not only has he gone to prepare a place, but he's the one that's responsible for taking us there. He's going to make sure we get there. We arrive at the destination. He said he's gone to prepare a place for us. And he did that by procuring our right to enter heaven by his death. He's gone to the cross so that we might be forgiven and we might be received into heaven as righteous people. He has entered into heaven as our forerunner. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 to 20. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul. You know, we think about an anchor, some people are in a boat maybe and they drop the anchor. Well, our anchor doesn't go down, it's gone up into heaven. It's gone into heaven. Our anchor is in heaven where Jesus is and it's both sure and steadfast which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner, the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus having become our high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. How comforting is that? A forerunner. A forerunner is one who goes, like a trailblazer, one who goes ahead of us to, you know, to, to blaze a trail for us. We're coming after him. He's the one that's gone ahead, gone first. He's the forerunner, but we will join him. Praise God. Now, here's the incredible thing. We were actually not created for heaven. We were created for earth. This was meant to be our domain and we were meant to have rulership over our domain here on earth. We weren't actually made for heaven. We weren't made to fit into heaven. We, we, we need to be recreated to go to heaven. And, and, and of course, by sinning, we lost the earth. We gave it over to Satan. He's the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. But Jesus by his death, both restored earth and also opened heaven to us. So we've got much more in Christ than what we had in Adam. We've got earth and heaven. 
Amen? Amen. And, and he's gone to prepare a place for us. He's going to make it popular. You know, when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's not saying, I'm going to get your room ready. <laughs> you know, we have to think of that. I'm not going to get your room ready. I'm going to make it possible for humans to inhabit heaven. I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I've gone to prepare you for that place. That's why we had to be born again. We could not enter the kingdom of heaven unless we're born again. We've got a, now a nature that fits us for heaven. Um, that's why people who die in Christ go straight to heaven. But they don't go in their body. They just, their spirit leaves the body and they go to heaven. But when Jesus comes back, we'll also have a body like unto his glorious body that will fit us for heaven, for eternity. So our body and our soul will be suited for heaven. We'll fit in there. He's gone to prepare a place for us and us for that place. Now, the Lord will not send for us, but will return personally to take us there. I will come and receive you to myself. Isn't that beautiful? Literally, it means you will be face to face with me. Think about that. The whole thing is we live a life of faith. Having not seen Jesus, we love him. Never seen him before, yet we love him more than anyone else. That's faith, and that pleases God. But when he comes back, we will be face to face with Jesus. We used to sing a hymn, probably, I don't know if you know it. Face to face will I behold him. Anybody remember that hymn? Face to face will I behold him. I can't remember the other words, but it's a beautiful concept. Face to face. So heaven is to be where Jesus, I will receive you to myself. That's what heaven is. Amen. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with what? With me in paradise. He didn't say this day you'll be in paradise. He said this day you'll be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what heaven is. Now, he will come and receive us to himself. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. Could be soon, by the way. Could be soon. And I'm, I'm, personally, I'm not, I'm not one, as you know, given to kind of, you know, hype in the pulpit. But I, I've got this incredible sense now that we're getting very, very close. Could be soon. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He said, I'll come and receive you. So I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> He's coming down, we're going up. He's going to meet us in the air to take us back to be with him forever. Now, what he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Whatever else is going on, comfort one another with these words. I just find that fascinating. It's almost like he can't wait for us to be there. I'll come and, I'll come and get you and take you back to be with me. Hallelujah. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. But Thomas was very honest and expressed his 
not understanding of where Jesus was going or how to get there. You know, I think the other disciples, they probably didn't know either, but they just kind of, you know, tried to look intelligent. Got it, I understand what you're talking about. Didn't have a clue, but Thomas was honest. No, hang on, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. Thank goodness for people like Thomas. Notice this, Jesus did not give a formula for knowing the way, but pointed to himself, I am the way. So any preaching that says you get to heaven by these things, this is the formula, these are the steps, that's not them, that's not the way, right? The way is Jesus. I am the way. There's a difference between giving directions to a destination and taking us there. You know, sometimes, I, <laughs> it's funny, did, where's Robert? Did you, get, did you get lost as well, coming back? I, I, I took the scenic tour, but it was pitch black. It was pitch black. And I didn't, I didn't see one soul for about an hour and a half. I was on this road. I you Kai, how did I get here? The only, the only thing I saw was a cow. And the cow looked at me and I just say, what are you doing here? Might have been a holy cow. Well, you know. But I mean, sometimes directions are not helpful. I won't say who gave me the directions and didn't give me <laughs> clear directions. But sometimes, you know, you say, how do I get to such and such a place? And they're so complicated. You know, so you, now you see down there, see that set of traffic lights? It's nowhere near there. You, this is where you need to be going. Go down there and you take the, the third on your right. And then his wife says, no, it's not the third on the right. It's the second on the right. You say, oh, well, whatever. Anyway, you, take, you go down there and there should be a guy standing on the corner with a red jumper. He was, there, he was there when I was there last time. Anyway, you think, forget it. You know, that's following directions. Isn't it better when somebody, I, I, the last time I went to Singapore, I love to go walk about. When I'm, I like to be the tourist, you know. And I, I, I just did a wander around and, and I thought, oh, what's the best way to get back to my hotel from here? My, my sense of direction is not that good, by the way. And anyway, I asked this guy and he started to give me like, the directions. I thought, oh, here we go. You know, how am I going to remember all this? And then he says, you know what? He said, I'll take you there. I'll go with you. I said, would you? He said, yeah. And he took me there. Much better, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't give us directions. He takes us there. He is the way. Yeah. Amen. He is the way to God. He is the truth about him. So any teaching that doesn't fit in with who Jesus is, and as Jesus manifested God in the flesh, that's, that's wrong if it's, if it's not in, you know, in, in alignment with him. And he is the one who gives eternal life through his death. For Adam's race, if somebody's not a, a Christian, life ends in death. But for those in Christ, death leads to life. That's why Jesus said, if you trust in me, you'll never die. But you say, well, people do die. But they don't die. They just leave this environment and go to another environment where they're with the Lord forever. Amen. Philip now comes in the picture. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? 
and that the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Philip asked to see the Father. Jesus replied that he and the Father are one. To see Jesus is to behold the Father. The only person who can correctly reveal God must be God himself. Amen? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, we're coming now into this wonderful truth and I really hope that it will bless you this morning. Jesus is in the Father. This is spiritual union. And the Father is in him. So though fully God, when he came to earth, he lived on earth in his humanity in total dependence upon the Father. He said, I can do nothing except the Father does it through me. The words that I speak to you, they're not my words, they're the Father's words. So in other words, he was basically saying, all I ever did, I never did. It was the Father in me. This is spiritual union. This is the spiritual life, how to live the Christian life. And, and Jesus said, now that's how you will live in me. You are in me as I am in the Father. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They, that they also may be one in us. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. We, 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 you know, we live by faith in Jesus who is living in us. And so we're not trying to live for God, but we're living, God is living through us. Amen. Spiritual life doesn't come through trying to imitate Jesus. Trying to copy him. Spiritual life is a result of him living in us and through us. Spiritual fruit doesn't come through following. Some people say, I follow Jesus. Don't follow, you know, the disciples followed Jesus, but when Jesus left this earth, he said, now abide in me. So fruit comes from abiding in him. He is the vine, he has the life, and his life flows into the branches. We are the branches. We don't produce the fruit, but we do bear the fruit, and that's spiritual union. Jesus explains it in this way. He said, his words and works are the result of this union. You think about that. Everything he taught, everything he did was all the result of abiding in the Father. The spiritual fruit of a person's life indicate that they are in Christ and he is in them. That's why Jesus um, you know, often said, basically, you don't have to answer your critics. They, they kept criticizing Jesus and he just kept pointing to the, the fruit. Does that come from the devil or does that come from my father? You know? Um, so you don't need to argue with your critics, just bear fruit. Fruit speaks for itself. Let your light so shine that, that people might see your works and glorify your father who is in, is in heaven. I think Peter says something about that, doesn't he? when he was talking about the suffering and the persecution that Christians would endure, he said, just live in such a way that people 
who really want to know the truth, genuine people who are honest, they will look at your life and say, no, he's not what everyone is saying about him because God is with him, and God or her, and blessing them and see the fruit from their lives. That's what Jesus said. You remember the man that we saw that was born blind and, and Jesus healed him and then uh, the, the authorities caught up with that man. They tried to you know, box him into a corner and, and get him to say something wrong about Jesus. And he said, look, look at this. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who is born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, you, you, you won't believe his words, but look at his works. You know, you are deliberately blind. Jesus revealed the Father in his words and his works. And he said to them, this is when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus and, you know, they didn't know it was him and, you know, they said, don't you know what's, what's been happening recently? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in what deed and word before God and all the people. Those things are important. What we say to people and, and the, you know, the, the deeds that they see us from us are very important. And, and they all come as a result of abiding in Jesus, abiding in him. So Jesus went on to say, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. See, Jesus really is real about this thing of union. He said, you know, you, what you've seen in me, you will produce as well. That for the same way, abiding is the divine life flowing through you. And, 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 and in fact, this is how you, you begin to abide in me. Believe my words and depend upon me. Ask prayer. So basically, believing the word of God, believing the words of Jesus, abiding in his words, and praying to him in dependence, coming upon him in dependence, asking the things that we need, we will see his life flowing out of us. So those who believe and abide in him will do greater things. Now, what does that mean? Well, it probably doesn't mean greater things in quality because you know I don't know anyone that's walked on water I don't know anyone who's turned the water into wine or multiplied bread and fishes or you know raised someone from the dead who was dead for four days I don't know anyone that's done that so great not probably so much greater in quality but greater in quantity now, Jesus never went out of Israel Everything he, was, he did was confined to that land. By the end of the first century, his disciples had taken the gospel to the far corners of the Roman world. Amazing. Greater works shall you do. And it all started on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. That's the result of the abiding life. Amen. 
is because he's gone to the Father. Jesus would soon explain that when he ascended to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who's come to live in us and, and, and to work through us. Praise God. Now we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit the next time we look at um, John, because you know Jesus speaks more about the Holy Spirit. But so that we understand that it's the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. Now, I come from a Pentecostal background, and that's why you know, every denomination is known, as I said, I think last time, by a particular thing that it believes. The way it baptizes or the day that it worships believes is special or what it believes about, you know, pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, concerning the second coming and all those things. So when you, when you, when you start a denomination, you kind of nail those colors to the mast, right? Right? But if you're non-denominational, as, as we are and many other churches, we say, no, it's just all about Jesus. We're just, you know, we're followers of Jesus. But when I was in the Pentecostal church, they, they, uh, denomination, I should say, they believed, and I probably still do believe, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a second experience to conversion. You receive the Holy Spirit when you say, but you can also be baptized in the Holy Spirit afterwards. But, you know, the, the issue is not this, because we used to ask people, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? The question, this is the wrong question. The question is not, have you had an experience back then where you were baptized in the Holy Spirit? The question is, are you filled with the Spirit now? Because Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled is the literal Greek. Keep on being filled. It's a continuous thing. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, look at what happened in the early stages of the, um, the, you know, the, the first century church. Um, they were preaching the gospel and, and the authorities were coming down very hard on them, persecuting them and warning them and so on. And they're just being warned again by the authorities. And they came together and this is what they prayed. They said, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, are the works. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and what? Spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen. Now they'd already been filled on the day of Pentecost. They all got filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were filled again. Amen. And as a result of that, they said, Lord, help us to, to keep on seeing works, miracles and things happening, fruit from our lives, and also keep uh, enabling us to speak the word of God with boldness. Personally, I think that that's going to be a prayer that we will need to pray more and more now because, you know, society is trying to shut us down altogether. And, and we, we have a choice. In our flesh, we, we would draw back and say, we better just, you know, not rock the boat, keep the peace. But when you walk in the Spirit, you say, Lord, just give us boldness, not to be foolish, but to speak the Word of God boldly. Amen. And, 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 and we will be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that. We don't even have to think about what we're going to say. He will give us the words to say it. Praise God. So the power of Christ will be experienced by all his disciples through prayer. He had shown a great example of this in his own life. You remember, Jesus often 
retired to pray. And the disciples observed that. They knew that he was abiding in the Father, expressing his dependence upon the Father. And then they said to him, didn't they? they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We want, we want to know how to pray. Not say prayers, but how to pray. What is meant by asking in the name of Christ? Because Jesus said, if you ask in my name, I'll do anything for you. Well, first of all, it means that we pray in his person. That is, as fully identified with him. When we are saved, we are baptised into Christ. We are in him. He, you know, we are joined to him. As he is, so we. we cannot be separated from Jesus. So we come in the very presence of God as in Christ, people. But secondly, it means to pray in the merits of Jesus, knowing that, that he has washed us in his blood and cleansed us, and we have every right to stand clean, righteous before the sight of God with boldness and confidence because of what Jesus did for us. But thirdly, and this is probably very important today, it means that we pray only for that which is, in according, uh, which is according to his will and for his glory. And so when we abide in him, we, you know, we abide in his words. We know what he wants. We know his will. It doesn't mean whatever you ask, okay, I want this and I want that. And we give him a shopping list. That's feeding the flesh. No, we are abiding in his words. We know we're on the same page as him. And we're asking in accordance with his will. How he works it out, he will decide that. But we know and confidently uh, can be as you know, sure that we're asking according to his will. So to pray in Christ's name is to seek what he seeks and to promote what he has at heart. As we close, there's a couple of promises here. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Remember he said fruit, more fruit, much fruit. That's his will for us. He chose us for that, appointed us for that. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. John 16, verse 23, 24, as we close. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Amen. So he's talking to his disciples. Okay, you've been asking me. You've been asking me up to now. You haven't asked the Father anything. I'm going away. But I'm encouraging you to ask the Father now in my name. And whatever you ask, you will receive that your joy may be full. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. What a joy it is to be your children. Branches in the vine, sons in the kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you've called us according to great promises and you've commissioned us to be lights in this world, to reach out in the midst of this darkness that seems to be getting thicker and darker every day but to be a bright shining light that others might see Jesus in us, might see his works and hear his words coming forth from our lips. Lord, let us not be intimidated. Let us not, Lord, become fearful because of the persecution and the pressures around us. Grant us also with boldness that we might see mighty signs and wonders and miracles and even healings taking place and much fruit coming from our lives. 
But Lord, also help us to boldly and faithfully proclaim your word to this dying generation, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Amen.